If you were to flick on the BBC Kids Channel, CBBS, you might come across this sung line, What's the story in Balamori? I promised my wife I wouldn't sing it. Perhaps maybe you're of an age where you remember Britpop and you remember Oasis singing, What's the story, Morning Glory? And we might ask that question of our world. What is the story? What is the great grand narrative of our world? If you listen to people like David Attenborough and Greta Thunberg, you would hear that the great story of our world is at a critical point. That the history and future of our world stands on a knife edge. Will we do something about climate change? Or maybe if you were to turn on the news and listen to somebody like Elon Musk, the billionaire, and hear him talking about space exploration and going to Mars and how Mars is just the beginning for us. What is the story of our world? And that question leads to another. What is the story of our worlds? And what does that mean for me? What is my role in the story? And perhaps the answer to the couple of examples we mentioned is my role is to stop using single-use plastics. Or my, uh, my role is to dream bigger, to have greater ambition, so that I could be like Elon Musk or, or whoever. My role is to expand the horizons. What has all that got to do with our summer series on the fruit of the Spirit? Well, the Bible tells us that the great story of our world is a story of making things new. Of new creation. A hidden revolution is taking place before our eyes and before the eyes of everybody in our world, the kingdom of God has come and change is happening. We spent the last six months in the book of Matthew, an account of the life of Jesus. And we've heard Jesus talk about his kingdom as something that is hidden but that can be found, something that is of great value, something that is small but is growing beyond compare and something that creates a demand and demands a, dem a, a change of life for those who are in the kingdom those who find it those who belong to it those who know and worship the king the world is being made new that's the story that God gives us in his word and says this is what is taking place whether you see it or not. And it all revolves around Jesus. And what does that mean for us? It means that we must change. That we must be part of this new thing that is happening. That we must be changed from the inside out. And so the fruit of the Spirit, this series that we're going to be doing for the next nine weeks from here, nine different aspects of character, the character of God's people. 
that the story of a fruitful people begins not in Galatians 5, where that verse is found. We'll get there. But it begins way back in Genesis chapter 1. Angela just read that passage to us. And we're going to look firstly that we, as humanity, were created to be fruitful. This is where the story starts. In the beginning. Those are the opening words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. And as we read Genesis 1, we hear a narrator describing the scene, or or better yet, describing that there is no scene. There is only God. And then God sets about making a new a world, not even a new world, the, the very first. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God creates light and he separates the light from the darkness. He makes the sea and separates the waters to create sky and sea and the, the air in between. He makes land from nothing. As God speaks, there is something. From chaos, God brings order. Into the void, he speaks fullness. And Genesis 1 tells us that, that God is creating a startup. This is not a finished project, but something that is going to grow and mature and expand. And so, when God puts the, the vegetation and greenery on the land, listen to Genesis 1, verse 11 to 12. God says, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. As God creates a world, he creates things that have future life in them. There is seed there. And fruit with more seed. Life begetting life. And then God fills the air and the sea with living creatures. And he does so. Notice that it's all according to their kinds. They have a designed purpose. They are different and, and separate. But they are to be fruitful. They are to increase. This pattern is there throughout the initial design process. For the world. Feels like I ought to get you know, Ian Jones up here and talk about design. Because I don't really know. But God's got design. He's saying these are how things are meant to be. And they're meant to grow. They're meant to be fruitful. Look down again Genesis 1. Look how many times the word fruit is there. And fruitfulness and increasing it and expanding and going out. Grow. Produce in accordance with your kind. In accordance with the, what you are. If you're a sheep, go and create more sheep. If you're a duck, go and create more ducks. I could go on. And so we find on day six, God creating animals and finally people. Let me read that section to you again from Genesis 1. God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along 
the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. Yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And it was good. That's one of the refrains of Genesis 1, isn't it? God declaring over and over again as he looks at what he has made, he says, it is good. It's good. It's good. I think God sometimes just recognises that there'll be people like us reading it many thousands of years later who just need simple things told us to us over and over again because we don't always get them. It's very good and the pattern that we see in genesis 1 as god creates this world is be fruitful according to your kind and it leaves us with the question as we look at humanity as we look at mankind made well what is their kind a sheep's a sheep a duck's a duck but what's a human what's his What's her? What's their kind? What is their design blueprint? How does God define it? Made in his image. Made to reflect and show what the creator God is like. That's the design blueprint for humanity. That's their kind. They come from God's. And are designed to show what God is like. And so, when humanity is called to be fruitful, yes, that means to, to have children, grow the family. But according to kind means not just to have lots of children, but it means to have children that show what God is like. For humanity to be fruitful, they have to continue to image God. There has to be a recognition that as they walk down the street, people can go in in what they say and what they do. Wow, that's, that's like God in their character. Fruit is showing and imaging the creating, relational, good God. That's what Adam and Eve, the first humans, were made for. It's what every human has been made to do. To be fruitful. To show and reflect God's character. His love. His kindness. His generosity. That is the high calling for every one of us. To produce fruit that points to God. And so as we stop here at the end of our first point we can say this. There are no no insignificant humans. None of us has got a calling that is anything less than that. To produce fruit that points to the creator God. 
in all of his goodness. None of us are made without the potential to produce that fruit. And so we must not despise the calling that we've got. It's easy to look at ourselves and to think, well, I haven't got much. I've not got a a high calling. I'm not an Elon Musk. I'm not a Greta Thunberg. I'm not even Mrs. Jones who lives next door. I'm insignificant. What can I do? I don't have the giftedness. I don't have the intelligence. I don't have the job, talent, family, background, academics. However, our hearts would fill that blank. Genesis 1 tells us we have an unbelievably high calling to produce fruit in keeping with the kind that God has made us in his image. But you may have noticed humanity does not resemble the place where it started. We're not marked out by that sort of fruitfulness. As we look in, as we look out, we don't see it. So our second point is this. It's about ceasing to be fruitful. Maybe you've heard the phrase, the best laid plans go often, which apparently comes from a Robert Burns poem. If you don't know who Robert Burns is, neither do I. Well, the plan for humanity to be fruitful goes astray and goes astray very quickly and very spectacularly. Adam and Eve give in to temptation, the temptation to distrust God. They walk their own way. They walk their own path of disobedience. They reject God's commands. They stop trusting. And somewhat ironically, they become unfruitful by taking and eating fruit. So whilst they do have children, even in that, even as they are fruitful in one way, that fruitfulness will will come at a cost. As God curses Adam and Eve in the garden, as they've walked away from him, as he displays both his justice and his mercy, he speaks to them. He says to Eve that childbearing will be painful, increasingly painful, It will be painful to be fruitful, he says to Eve. And then he says to Adam, Adam, in your role as a man to to work and rule over this world, listen to what it says in Genesis 3.18, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. God is going all in on this fruitfulness thing. The ground will produce not fruits. There's no trees that bear fruit here or fruit that has seed within it. No, the ground will produce not fruit, but thorns and thistles. It's like God's saying to us as we're watching on this picture going, there's a big sign saying, not fruitful. Not fruitful. And that's represents the lives that they will live always struggling with self always struggling with sin always struggling to produce fruit that honors 
God. And so the Bible story moves on. A man is called Abraham and God calls him and makes him into a great nation. God promises to bless. He saves and blesses this nation called Israel. And they are called to produce fruit. They are called to live out a life communally which shines in the darkness. They're given commands about how to live that are in their very seams filled with kindness and love. And the question we ask is, well, well, can they produce fruit? Can Israel be a fruitful nation? Well, listen to Isaiah chapter 5. A song sung about God and his people. Isaiah 5 says, my loved one had a vineyard. On a fertile hillside, looking good so far. He dug it up, cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. This is a man, this is God, who has done everything, Isaiah says. It's all set up to to be a successful enterprise. There's a watchtower to watch out so nobody can come in and destroy it. It's the best vine. The ground is prepared. The wine press is ready. Isaiah 5 continues. Then he looked for a good crop, uh, sorry, a crop of good grapes. And as we read in Isaiah 5, we're on tender hooks. Is it coming? Is it here? Here's the kicker. But it yielded only bad fruit. God does it all. But finds only bad fruit. The people of Israel do not in their words and hearts and actions reflect the character of God. Where God is righteous, doing what is right all of the time. They are not. The way that they act is marked by not justice but injustice. What God looks for and doesn't find in his own people of Israel in Isaiah chapter 5, so too he looks for and doesn't find in us. Imagine that the world is an orchard full of apple trees of varying heights and sizes. And the gardener comes walking through his orchard looking, looking at our trees. What will he find? Will he find a healthy crop of of delicious apples? The Bible's story and the record of our own hearts says God will not find good fruit. He will find rotten fruit, bad fruit. And some will look obviously rotten. It'll be evident to anybody within a hundred yards that that tree is not producing good fruit. And then there are other trees that you look and think, oh, that looks good. And then you get there and take the fruit off and you take a bite and it's sour and rotten inside. It's rancid. Such are people like us. Such are all people. Because without God, we do not bear fruit. We do not bear the image of God. Well, 
adequately. We, the people, left to ourselves, are not lovers of others as God is. But we love ourselves. We don't honour goodness and beauty. For if we did, we would not ignore God. The God who made every beautiful thing to to the utmost detail. The tiny flowers with their intricacies. The great mountains with their strength and wonder. God who made all of that and everything besides. That we can look at him and go, not bothered. Not interested. Go my own way, thank you very much. And so a people like that create a world which lacks justice, it lacks kindness, it lacks care, often and overwhelmingly. It is a world, not so much on a knife edge, but a world that is gone, without hope. When we eventually get to Galatians 5. We'll find the list of the fruit of the Spirit, but just preceding it is another list. The works of the flesh. What humans do by themselves. Listen to this list. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. It's like Paul, as he writes this letter, puts dot, 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 ellipses and everything else you can think of. And Paul says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Bad fruit. And bad fruit has no place in God's kingdom, in the new creation. When it is finally brought to reality and everybody will see it, there will not be any bad fruit. There will be a people who have been perfected. A people whose hearts are fully worked through with the love and goodness of God who who have no desires at all left for self, only desires for the glory of God and the good of other people. So, humanity has ceased to be fruitful. And here's where we need to stop, because our first reaction, I think, or maybe for many of us, is to think, man, I've got to do better. I've got to go out and do better. I need some good fruit. I've got to get me some good apples on my tree, and I'll put them to the front so people see them. Our natural response is to say, I want to do better. I want to be good enough. I want to be, when Jesus walks through the the orchard of Rotherham, I want him to see my tree has got at least some good fruit on it. And that he'll be pleased. But the book of Galatians, as we come into chapter 5 and look at the fruit of the Spirit, is quick to warn us that salvation, being right with God, does not come through our efforts. It cannot It will never. We can never be good enough. Even if we had the power, even if we had the self-will. It's a mark 
will never hit. No one will be saved by keeping the law. No one will have enough good apples in their tree to to root out the bad apples if that's how it worked. So if we get to the end of this series in nine weeks time thinking, well, I just need to do better. Well, we've missed the point. We can't do it. Because we're like diseased trees. The fruit, the thing on the outside, just shows us what's going on on the inside. And we are diseased trees. And diseased trees need to be removed. They need to be taken out and burnt. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard to hear. Because none of us wants to be told that. Even if we know it, we don't want to be told it. We don't want other people thinking that's true of us. But that is what the Bible says to us. Do not go away and think, I need to do better. Well, okay. What do we need to do? Point three. We look to Christ. The fruitful, the true fruitful man. You see, God's right response to an unfruit people is to do what I've just described, to uproot the trees, to to burn it all down. In fact, Isaiah 5 goes on to tell us this is God's response. God says, now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'll take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its walls and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. That's what will God, that's how God will respond to our unfruitfulness. And it's right. But. But. Isaiah doesn't finish in chapter 5. And so we read, after a few more chapters of God's response and promise and mercy, Isaiah chapter 11 begins like this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Even in that verse, we can hear what God has done. God has been the great gardener that has gone round the vineyard and he has chopped off the trees that are unfruitful. And it's right. And it's just. But from one of the stumps, as we look around this wasteland, of unfruitfulness one of the stumps has a small shoot coming up a small sign of life and it comes from the stump of Jesse Jesse is the father of King David one of the great bible characters great in his godliness great in his good and great in his sin David is God's chosen king to lead his people. From Jesse, from that stump will come a shoot. And from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. From a broken, fallen family line that after David splits and falls away, that fails in its kingship. 
from that will come somebody who will bear fruit. And the implication there is that it is proper fruit. Good fruit. He will bear the sort of fruit that God talks about. Righteousness and justice and faithfulness and peace. He goes on to describe the peace that he will bring. He says the wolf will lie down with the lamb. It's that level of peace. It's not a, we all know there are issues, but we won't talk about it, and there'll be like a quiet Christmas sort of peace. It's a full-on, everybody, all in, living together, even those that we would just say are completely opposed to each other, lying down together, and happiness ruling over all. It's that sort of peace, and it will come from this shoot into a fruitless line, and from a fruitless people comes one who will bear fruit. And Isaiah 11 goes on to tell us he will do it by the power of the Spirit of God. He will be wise and understanding, righteous and just. He will be at peace and he will bring peace with perfect self-control, even in the hardest of circumstances. And the Bible story tells us of David's son, one who comes from David's line, who will be born in Israel. Born in Bethlehem, in David's town. And he will rise up and he will be filled with the spirit and he will produce fruit as he interacts with people around him, his followers and the people he meets in all sorts of random situations. He will bring goodness and people will see him and respond to him and they will love him and they will recognize the beauty of this this shoot from the stump of Jesse He will be perfectly full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And he will be called Jesus. It's where Isaiah points us forward to. A son who will be born. Look at the characteristics in that famous Christmas passage, Isaiah 9, about this son. And go, hang on, there seems to be quite a lot of fruit of the Spirit in that. And so, our response to recognising that we are born as people who do not produce fruit, who fall short of our calling, is to look to the one who has fulfilled the right calling of humanity. Who has perfectly imaged God in all that he has done, said and thought. And so Galatians says, put your trust in him. Trust in his righteousness. Trust in his life in place of your own. So that is the means that God has has given in Christ for us to be reconciled to him. So that we might be counted and considered as God's children. As we put our faith in Jesus. We look to Jesus. And so as we go through these series, and as we see the things that we will want to be like, and we will want to be marks of our lives, firstly, our first response has got to be to look to Jesus and see that he has done it for us. That our salvation does not rest on us being good enough, but it rests on Jesus having perfectly been good enough for us. And so we look 
And I pray that we will look again and again at Jesus through this series. So we look to Jesus. But final point is that we want to look like Jesus. To look like Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. We talked earlier about this great story of new creation. When Jesus comes, he starts something new. Through his life and his death and particularly in his resurrection. Things restart. Something new, something big. In fact, big's not big enough. Something cosmic. God is remaking the heavens and the earth. And our second question was that if this is the big story, what is our role? Well, our role is to become more and more fitting for that new creation. You see, because we offer nothing to God. We cannot be made right with God by ourselves. It's all of Jesus. But then Jesus begins in us a work of transformation. He says, you need to be changed. Not that so you can be let in, but because you've been let in, now you need to change. You need to fit, you need to be made new. And so Galatians tells us that if we have faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. God himself comes to dwell within us and starts to make us new. Starts the process of change and complete renewal. Paul ends this letter to the Galatians in chapter 6 by talking about how we, what counts is the new creation. Instead of looking around at the things of the, the old way and the old world, what counts, he says, is the new creation. And elsewhere he describes the work of faith being united to Jesus in his death and resurrection as be, becoming a new creation. And so we now need to start getting on board with this great plan, this great story of change. And so the spirit is within us and he works within us to make us fruitful. Listen to Galatians 5 verse 25. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Since we live by the spirit, it's the spirit who has joined us to Jesus in his death and resurrection. As we have turned our eyes to him, as we have put our hopes in him, because we are alive because of the Spirit, now we need to keep in step. What does that mean? It means going where he goes. Walking with him. Imagine, maybe you did this in school. Maybe some of you have done it in sports days this year. Be part of a three-legged race. So two people stood next to each other and their inside legs are tied to one another. And then it's just a race. And you all, inevitably, you have the, 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 the couple who are going, let's take it steady. Slow and steady wins the race. And they're just inching along like this. You know, you know, three days later, they finally finish the race. And then you get the ones, usually boys, who are just like, we'll just run normally and we'll try and get through it. And so they both set off and their legs are going all over and they're going to crash. And, you know, it's going to be, I mean, probably quite entertaining to watch. Paul says... 
We've begun by the Spirit. We live because of the Spirit, through faith, looking at Jesus. But now we need to keep in step with what the Spirit is doing, what God himself is doing. And so we need to listen to him. We need to recognise that the work of the Spirit is to point us to Jesus. Again and again, constantly looking at who Jesus is and what he's done. We need to see the, the work of the Spirit who prompts our hearts to trust in our Father. Galatians points us to that truth that it's the Spirit working within us that enables us to look to God and realise that he is our loving Father. Who looks after us and cares for us and disciplines us. It's the work of the Spirit to speak to us through the word that he inspired the work of the spirit to bind us together to God's people worshipping with one another walking alongside each other keep in step with the spirit how is God speaking to us how can we go alongside with his plan how do we stop listening to ourselves and start listening to him that is what the fruit of the spirit is about because notice in Galatians 5 as opposed to the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit is not what we do primarily, it's what God does in us. So he says the bad list, the works of the flesh, what we do, but the good list is here's what God does in us. As we know him, as we listen to him, as we share our lives and our hearts with him, as we obey him, God produces this fruit in us. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And as the Spirit is at work within us, we will show who God is. We will get back to that original creative purpose, our blueprint to image God. We will show one another and the world what God is like. The church being the greatest piece of evidence and the most compelling argument for the gospel. That there is a God who is active in this world, who loves us, and who has sent his son to die for us, who was raised to new life and is making all things new. And when the church, even us, when we show through the work of the Spirit within us the character of God, people will watch on and go, who is your God? Who is a God that produces people like this? Because that's God's plan. Not just to remake the world. Not just to dig up the foundations and put new buildings and new trees and new oceans in place. But to fill this new world with his people. God is saving for himself a people. Men and women and boys and girls from every tribe, tongue and nation who will gather around the throne and worship Jesus and will recognise his goodness and will on that day reflect it. Will reflect his character perfectly now 
imperfectly, but then perfectly. Here's my prayer for the next nine weeks that we will be changed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. More marked by love for one another and for our neighbours. More marked by joy, no matter what the circumstances. More marked by each of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, that is our prayer. That we will be more like Jesus in nine weeks' time than we are now. Father, we are sorry. We confess that there is so much bad fruit. Lord, whether others see it or not, you do. Please forgive us for that. And we pray, Lord, that even as we gather week by week over these next nine weeks, Lord, that even in that process, we would be keeping in step with your spirit. We would be listening to you speak through the word that he inspired. And that we would see more of the beauty and glory of Jesus. And as we look on Jesus, that we would be being changed. Father, use our witness, our Christ-likeness, weak though it is, to draw others to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.